How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 262 of the podcast is Sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is Monday, June 15th, 2020. Cannot believe that we are already halfway through June. It feels like just yesterday I was in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament, kicking it with my guy Bill Walton, and here we are halfway through June, about a month from SEC Media Day when college football really picks up. But I got a great show for you today in the meantime. And we'll, by the way, we got plenty of time to talk college football. We'll talk plenty of college football on this show. Great show today, though. Here is kind of a quick rundown. So obviously, as you guys know, I've been kind of keeping you abreast with everything that's going on with all this coronavirus stuff and blah, 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 blah. And this league's coming back and this league's not. And this is that the other thing. And it felt like everything was trending in the right direction. Then this weekend, the NBA threw a fit. Major League Baseball threw an even bigger fit. It does look like we're going to get baseball back, but not like anything that we have ever seen. But I think you can actually draw a pretty nice parallel between the two sports. And you kind of quickly realize that uh, the theme that I took out of this weekend from these two sports, from the athletes that are involved in them, is that the modern athlete is completely out of touch with people like you, like myself, that are in fact the consumers of the sports, the people that help support them and have given them the platform to do what they do. So I want to talk a little bit about both sports and really how I think the last two, two and a half months have shown that basically these guys are just completely out of touch with reality and what the common man and woman in this country, especially right now, are going through. After that, We will get back to college hoops with a great interview. And here's the deal. I've spent the last two episodes really breaking down this situation in Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, I believe, to a degree, is being railroaded by the NCAA. And because I was outspoken, guess who reached out to AT and said, we want to get our coach on your show? Oklahoma State head coach Mike Boynton is going to join the show, and it was a really fun, wide-ranging interview. We talk about all sorts of stuff. He really breaks down what happened with the NCAA, why he believes that it's not fair, why he believes that he is getting lumped in with the Kansas and Louisville and the schools that are much more extreme, whereas you have a school like Oklahoma State, which as I said on last Monday's episode, the school was basically found guilty of giving $300 to one player who then suspended him 
and then the head, uh, the assistant coach took the rest of the money and has subsequently been fired and basically banned from college basketball. So really fun interview with Mike Boynton, and of course, we talk about the topic that is relevant to this show specifically, which is the status of Cade Cunningham. A lot of really good stuff on Cade Cunningham, what the next steps are, and why Oklahoma State is frankly doing whatever they believe is best for Cade Cunningham whether that is keeping him at the school, helping him pursue professional options. And Mike Boyan even said, if Cade wants to play in the NCAA tournament, if he wants to go to another school, we're going to help him do that. So a really fun interview. And I want to thank you guys because the bottom line is this. People are starting to now see the platform that this show has. People are starting to see the guests that this show now has. And people are starting to see that this is a show that is influential specifically on the college sports landscape. And a lot of people are now reaching out to me to have their coach, their players, their this, their that on the show. And so I want to thank you guys because it starts with the support. And I, I, I told you this last week, but May was the most downloads that we've ever done. Uh, last Monday's show set a one-day download record, as best I can tell. And so thank you guys for the support that you have given me. Uh, and before we get started, let's get into it. I should mention, like I always do, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If you're not, I don't really know what else I can do for you at this point because basically, one, I have just crushed the content. I have kept you updated with the little kind of day-to-day -day nuances of college sports, specifically college basketball, the transfers, the high school kids, the this, the that, but I've also kept you abreast on the big picture stuff, the coronavirus, what is going on with college players returning to campus, the MLB, the NFL, Major League Base. I'm doing it all. I'm a one-man band, so you better be subscribed. You can do it on iTunes podcast addict if you have an android make sure to subscribe on the podcast addict app podbean spotify tune in radio wherever you download your shows make sure you're subscribed to the aaron torres sports podcast also make sure to rate and review the show go ahead and give us a quick five stars like our buddy mk beard 1224 did last week he said the aaron torres sports podcast is a 10 out of 10 so thank you mk beard for that uh, make sure you're, you're you're rating the show as i said also, find me on all the social media platforms. I've told you, I post all sorts of good stuff on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. I actually posted a pretty fun video that I did. I was a guest on a prominent radio show, Scott Farrell, a very prominent host through the years. He had me on to talk about the Zion stuff. If you missed last week's episode, by the way, I talked a lot about the Zion stuff, but I posted a clip from Scott Farrell's radio show, which has gone crazy viral because I basically said what I've been saying on this podcast for months, which is if you're if you feel like uh, Sean Miller needs to get fired, if you feel like Will Wade needs to be fired, then you better be asking some some tough questions about Zion Williamson and what happened at Duke. Uh, the the clip went viral, and you should be subscribed on the Instagram page, also uh, Facebook. Aaron Torres, writer on Facebook, YouTube, you can find me as well. I post clips from this show and some other stuff. And of course, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, people, there is no more time to wait. And there is so much to get into because as I told you off the top, look, here's the deal, right? So I, I you know, the, the off season started kind of the way that it generally does, although it doesn't generally uh, start with a pandemic, but we obviously started with a lot of the, 
kind of day-to-day stuff in college hoops, the the grad transfer market, the transfer market, the situation where players are now reclassifying. We talked about a lot of that stuff to start this the offseason. Then I kind of switched into this coronavirus mode, and it's not because I claim to be a medical expert, but as I told you from the beginning, there are so many things going on with so many sports, and it's my job to follow this stuff, so I might as well keep you guys updated. And some of you love college hoops and maybe golf or NASCAR or tennis or baseball or basketball, the NBA. And I just kind of wanted to keep everybody abreast. Obviously, on the college sports scene, I thought there was a lot of misinformation out there. And so that's where that started. And I kind of did that for about two, two and a half, three weeks. And you guys loved it. The response was incredible. And so I was doing that, and it was great. And I kind of stopped doing it because everything seemed to be trending in the right direction. College athletes were returning to campus. As I said last week, some were obviously testing positive but were asymptomatic, which I actually thought was a good thing, and I explained why in the previous episode. And NBA was going to return. Golf was already back. UFC is back. NASCAR is back. And everything seemed to be going good in the coronavirus world. And so I kind of just backed off that a little bit. And then this weekend happened. And then uh, all hell broke loose, both with the NBA and Major League Baseball. Both sports, I believe, look very bad, both at the ownership level, specifically in Major League Baseball, but also with the workforce, with the players in Major League Baseball and the NBA. And I want to kind of explain to you what happened. I know a lot of you guys are getting back to normalcy in your lives and maybe weren't able to follow this stuff moment to moment, day to day. And so I'll give you an update on both of these sports And why I believe that these modern athletes, man, and I'm not trying to stereotype or generalize, but these baseball players, these basketball players, I just think they are totally out of touch with what is going on in this world around them, the world that you and I live in. And I just kind of want to explain what's going on and why I think these guys are completely out of touch. And so let's get into starting with the NBA. And I think if you're looking for a broad timeline of the NBA, they were obviously the first sports uh, organizations, uh, sports league, whatever, to shut down. And they were really kind of slow to get back. And I was very critical of that throughout time. But I think the, 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 the reason for that was very simply they want to have all their ducks in a row, right? They, they, you know, they didn't want to have owners asking questions, players asking questions, coaches asking questions. They want to have a pretty good policy in place to get things back on the court, and that is why they move slow. And so when we saw everything that came out about 10 days ago now that the NBA was coming back, that it was going to be in Orlando at Disney's Wide World of Sports, and that it was going to start on July 31st in this bubble environment – It was because as much as I'm critical of the NBA, I'll give them credit. They crossed all the T's and dotted the I's. And before they put a public plan out out to the public, they want to make sure everything was set. So everything was good. They have a million calls. They get the owners on some calls. They get the players on some calls. Everybody asks questions. Everything seems to be going well. We put a plan in place. And then this weekend happened. (laughs) And, And what really happened this weekend is two things. So the Kyrie Irving deal, and Kyrie Irving's kind of a crazy character in all this to begin with because Kyrie is a, a one of the, the player reps in terms of the players' union, the voices in the players' union, and he was actually on all these calls all along to begin with, and he didn't really ask any questions. Like, there's a good article from Wodes that he basically, you know, he was on these calls and he's asking about, well, we have access to a sauna, what kind of beverages will there be, what kind of food will we be eating in this bubble? And he doesn't really say anything. 
And then on Thursday, Friday, whenever it was, you start to hear reports that Kyrie is kind of organizing this uprising within the players. And where Kyrie specifically felt like the voices weren't being heard was that he felt like if we go into this bubble and we focus on basketball, the social progress going on off the court is going to be pushed to the side. And all of a sudden, we're going to be talking about who won last night, who lost last night, and whatever progress is being made in broader society is going to go away. And, you know, Kyrie can feel that way. Other players have said otherwise. Austin Rivers actually came out and said, listen, the best way to use our platform is to actually play these games where people will be, the, the spotlight will be on us, we'll have TV cameras on us, we can make more money to give back to our community. So the Kyrie thing was wild, but it spoke to kind of a broader thing that happened in the NBA, and the Kyrie stuff made all the headlines, but the, the, the broader thing that happened in the NBA is that I think after that kind of big call, the big uh, to-do about, uh, we're coming back and we're in this bubble, I think really over the last week or so, I think the players kind of realize like, oh, like some of us are going to be in a bubble for th up to three months here, and I don't know if I like it. And so what, what really happened, the Kyrie thing was kind of a broader thing. Again, if you read the reports from Woj and Shams and all the guys that cover this league, you kind of see that the Kyrie thing was the overarching thing with all sorts of players having all different kinds of questions, right? So Kyrie's thing was he didn't want the teams to come back because of the social justice movements going on across America. There's other players that don't want to go to a bubble because they don't want to be away from their families for a month, two months, three months. There's other players that don't want to go to a bubble because they're actually afraid of health risks, right? There's going to be employees coming into this bubble from the outside, whether it's bus drivers, cleaning ladies at the hotel, um, you know, uh, uh, cooks, chefs, whatever, some players are actually scared about the health risk. Some players just don't want to be in a bubble for three months. You have some players, I saw this was kind of interesting, Donovan Mitchell is a little bit worried about injuries. He's saying like, look, and I'm not even going to blame Donovan Mitchell on this one. He's basically saying like, look, I am up for a massive extension this offseason, and if something happens in this bubble, I could be out tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. And so the Kyrie Irving thing was kind of the broader overarching kind of idea that NBA players have kind of come to the idea and come to the realization, hey, we're going to be locked up here for, not locked up's the wrong term. We are going to be, um, you know, in this bubble for two, three months at a time. And like, that really doesn't sound all that fun. Now, I will defend the major league, I will defend some of the players in that some, I think uh, the vast majority of players kind of understand that this is what you got to do, right? Kyle Kuzma came out with a really strong tweet when, when all these reports came out. And he said, dude, don't get it twisted. There's a lot of us that just want to hoop and compete and compete for a championship. LeBron James was apparently very upset, surprise, surprise, with Kyrie for kind of setting up this call after all of these months of planning, Kyrie out of nowhere kind of sabotages it. But I think it comes to the broader point that NBA players are really starting to have real questions about this bubble for a number of different reasons, not just the social uh, justice stuff with Kyrie, but also, again, being in a bubble, having people come in from outside, the amount of testing, the fact they'll be away from their families, the fact that some of them don't have families, they want to, they're single and they're ready to mingle. So that is the situation with the NBA, and it was, I think, a very frustrating weekend behind the scenes for people in the NBA, including the head of the NBA Players Association, which kind of came out with a very strongly worded phrasing that basically said, like, look, we, we agreed on all this. I don't know where this is coming from. 
So that's what's going on with Major League Baseball. Or that's what's going on with the NBA. Major League Baseball is another story altogether, and they make the NBA players look like the most harmonic, uh, in-tune, get-together, everybody kumbaya stuff that we've ever seen. And so here's what's going on with baseball. So baseball, I kind of laid this out two, three, four weeks ago, but the situation with baseball is obviously different because baseball, they never started their season, right? The NBA was 60, 65, 70, whatever it was, probably closer to 80% of the way done through their regular season when their season was halted. Baseball was just about to begin. And so when all of this started, Major League Baseball kind of came out and they just basically said like, look, let's come to a plan right away and everybody agreed upon it. And basically the plan was that players were probably not going to play a 162 game season, but that players will get prorated salaries, which means that they will get paid for every game that is actually played. So if 100 games get paid, players get paid for 100 of those games. If you play 85, 82, 81 games, players get paid for 81 games. And that was the plan, and everything was all well and good and kumbaya, and this was in April and early May. And then all of a sudden, the owner said, wait a second now. That original proposal, the one that I just said, prorated salaries, you get 100% of your salary for the games played, that was under the assumption that when we come back, we are going to have fans in the stands. And when it became apparent, like, we're probably not going to have fans in the stands, the owner said, wait a second now. We have to go back to the drawing board on this, and we got we to gotta talk about this, because we believed that there were going to be fans in the stands. And for people who don't understand, 40% of revenue in baseball comes from fans in the stands. And so it comes from the things that you do at the ballpark, parking, concessions, merchandise, tickets. And the Major League Baseball owners were saying like, look, we were planning on having all that revenue, but now that we're not, we're going to have to go back to the drawing board. And so ever since then, over the last three, four, five weeks, it has been a back and forth between players and owners, and they can't agree on anything. And the number one thing is that the players are not willing to give up salary. They're saying, if we play 100 games, we want to get paid for 100 games. If we, get, if we play 30 games, we want to get paid for 30 games. And so finally what happened on Saturday was that basically the MLB Players Association basically gave up even trying to negotiate with Major League Baseball, or with the owners, excuse me. They basically gave up, and the way it works is at a certain point, if they can't come to an agreement, the commissioner and owners can basically just say, we're playing a season, and it's we got to get going here. And so that's essentially what happened on Saturday when they couldn't come to an agreement, and um, the, the, the Players Association head, whose name is Tony Clark, basically said, we're done negotiating, it's over, just tell us when we're going to show up and tell us where we're going to show up and tell us when and how it's all going to go down. And so why do I bring it up? It's because it is looking like we are going to get a baseball season somewhere in the neighborhood of 50-ish games, and the players will get the 100% prorated salary, but what basically has happened is the owners are saying, like, look, if you're not going to get off this 100% of your salary thing, then we're going to play the fewest games possible so we don't lose a ton of money. And so I'm not saying that I'm 100% on the side of the owners. I'm z- I, I hate the players. But what I am saying is I do understand the owner's perspective of the revenue that we have coming in is nowhere near what we were expecting. And so because of it, you guys got to make some sacrifices. And so what it looks like is we're going to get about a 50-game season. We will get absolute clarification on Monday. By the time you listen to this, we should have an idea of what the Major League Baseball season is going to look like. But it's probably going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 games. Because what you need to know is is that the TV networks have basically said, like, look, 
baseball is great, but we don't want you guys finishing your regular season any later than the end of September because we got a lot of football. We got college football. We got the NFL. We got Thursday night football. We got Monday night football. And so the owners are saying like, look, the season's got to be done September 27th. And whenever they agree to this, this shortened season, it's probably not going to start till at the earliest, like July 15th, maybe end of July at this point. And so it's going to end up being 50 games. And so why do I bring this all up? And what is it? What does the MLB have to do with the NBA? I believe that these two situations that happened over the weekend are intertwined. And they're intertwined in the sense that the modern athlete, and it's not all of them, again, credit Kyle Kuzma, he wants to play. Credit LeBron, who's saying, I want to get back on the court. So I'm not criticizing every single NBA player, every single Major League Baseball player. But what I do think is, it speaks to the fact that these guys are completely out of touch with reality. And why is that? The reason is simple. is because if you look at these two situations individually, at this point, it is no longer about health concerns, right? I mean, I think the number one thing, I think we can all agree, the one thing that unites us as Americans over the last couple months, we're trying to figure out how to handle this virus on a day-to-day situation, okay? And we, as regular citizens, we have what we call a new norm, right? Is that not the number one topic or phrase of the last couple months is the new norm? Many of you are, you know, you're wearing face masks when you go to work. Many of you, when you go to a restaurant, if they're now open, the server is wearing face masks. Some places you can't even eat in a restaurant yet. You can only eat outside. This is the new norm. We are getting used to a new norm as society. And the one thing that I have been consistent about in the sports world, the sports world, whenever it comes back in whatever sport, it is not going to look the same. Think about the sports that have already come back. UFC, no fans. Boxing, no fans. NASCAR, no fans, although they may get some in the stadium soon. And with basketball, the new norm is going to be playing in this bubble without fans, and you're going to have to be away from your family. And in baseball, the new norm is like, you're probably going to have to take a pay cut. And these guys refuse to accept that there is a new norm in their sports. And that's what's frustrating me. And like I said, I've been saying this from the beginning. Whenever we get sports back, whatever sports that we are going to get back and on whatever time frame, they are going to look different. They are going to feel different. And we are seeing that right now with UFC, with with NASCAR, and these baseball and basketball players don't seem to understand that. They live in a world where they want everything exactly the way it was, and that is just not realistic. And what is especially frustrating is that It's just showing the disconnect again for the hundredth time between us as fans, us as consumers, and them as professional athletes. And I think about where we are in this country right now. Again, the new norm, life, masks, social distancing, whatever. But also the stuff that I've talked about on this show time and time again, the economy that we're in, the fact that 40 million people over the last three months have filed for unemployment. The fact that millions more, if not tens of millions, I've seen a speculation of as much as 100 million people have taken a pay cut, have taken a salary reduction. We are all, as a society, living in uncharted times where we have to live with uncomfortable circumstances that we could have never seen coming. And so when I look at basketball 
and I see, I see these guys saying, oh, I, I can't be in a bubble for three months. I can't be in a bubble. I can't be away from my family. Well, first of all, let's just, guys, just, just, let's just take a deep breath and let's just do some quick mental math here, okay? 22 teams are entering this bubble for this tournament, you know, for the situation. There's a tournament, there's the playoffs, there's whatever. Six of those teams are not even going to make the playoff. So six of those teams are going to be in the bubble for like two, two and a half weeks, and then they're out. And then after the first round, half of the teams get eliminated. You go from, from 22 teams to eight teams in basically a month. So you're talking about now 16 out of the 22 teams are going to be out in a month. And then we're going to slowly pare down from there. And it's basically going to be two teams that are in the bubble for a month. 25 guys, 40 guys, whatever. If you include coaches and staff and whatever, we're talking about 40 guys. That's really all we're talking about. We're not talking about hundreds. We're not talking about every player. We are talking about 40, 50 people total that are going to be in this bubble for three months. And again, it goes back to what I was saying a minute ago. Yes, it sucks. Yes, I feel bad for players that are going to potentially be away from their families. But this is no longer about health. This is about inconvenience. And guess what? We have all been inconvenienced over the last month. We have all been convenienced over the last three months. We all have a new norm, and for one season, you got to accept it, man. You got to accept that you're going into a bubble, and you might not have every, uh, you know, uh, piece of food available that you want. You might not have your family by your side, but that's the new norm. We're all dealing with something different. And oh, by the way, baseball players are even worse. You're even worse, because like I said, the NBA compared to Major League Baseball, the NBA is kumbaya, everybody's holding hands, everybody's locked arms. Major League Baseball, are you kidding me? These players that refuse to take a salary reduction, do you understand what I said a minute ago? 40 plus million people through no fault of their own no longer have jobs. Some of them very fortunately have gotten them back, but 40 million people have lost their jobs. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions, if not tens of millions more have had to take salary reductions. And it's not just a little guy. Go to us, every major corporation in America, people are taking salary cuts. CEOs, uh, you know, leaders of companies, college football coaches, college basketball coaches. I've named the names on this show, but Chris Mack has had to take a pay cut. Sean Miller has had to take a pay cut. On and on and on and on and on. And guess what? They still got to show up to work every day. You haven't showed up to work and you still want 100% of your salary? Get out of here, man. That is not realistic and that is not fair and that is not reflective of where we are as a society. And so what has been so disappointing to me is what I just said a minute ago. These guys are out of touch and it's no longer about the health concerns. It's no longer about me being worried about getting the flu, getting, getting not the flu, getting the coronavirus. It's no longer about that because if it was about that, those are legitimate concerns. Now, I've reeled off the stats that say that it's actually relatively safe for, for young, healthy athletes, but that's at least a legitimate concern. And some guys have expressed those concerns. Mike Trout, who has a newborn baby, Major League Baseball, has kind of said, like, I don't really know how I feel about coming back this season. There's been other players who say the same. And if that's your concern, I can rock with that. I don't know that I agree with it, but I can understand it. But your concern is about money, is about dollars and cents. When 40 million people lost their jobs, your concern is about being away from your family when many people can't provide for their families. It's pathetic, it's sad, and it's about inconvenience in a world where we have all been inconvenienced. And it is so disappointing, and it is so frustrating, and I just, I, it just it boggles my mind 
how out of touch all of these guys are. And it's not one of them. It's both sports. It's the majority of them. I don't know what percentage, like I said, credit LeBron James. He wants to play. Credit Kyle Kuzma. He tweeted, I want to hoop. And some guys have legitimate concerns. Like I said, I think Donovan Mitchell has a legitimate concern. He doesn't want to lose a career, a life-changing salary that is coming his way this offseason. And so he has talked privately with the league about the possibility of setting up some kind of insurance policy for players like him, Jason Tatum, Bam Adebayo, De'Aaron Fox, who are due for that really big contract that's life-changing. That's a legitimate concern, and there's a legitimate solution. But for these guys that don't want to be inconvenienced by going into a bubble, don't want to be inconvenienced by being away from your family, I'm sorry, that's the reality, the new norm. We're all dealing with it. And none of us, none of us as fans have any sympathy for you. And I'll just tell you, I'm just curious the long-term ramifications of all of this arguing because I do think there's going to be long-term ramifications. And listen, I'm not going to sit up here and, and do the whole, I will never go to a baseball game again. I will not watch the NBA playoffs because they're selfish. No. Next summer, when ballparks are open, I'm probably going to go to Dodger Stadium and crush some beers and some Dodger dogs. I'll pr- I'm going to watch the NBA playoffs. Like, if Zion is the eight seed against Le- LeBron, I'm not not watching. But I think these, pl- these athletes have to realize, man, like, dude, you got to make some concessions. You got to work with us here, especially in this climate, especially when people are getting back to normal, and especially, by the way, when people have come to realize that life goes on without sports. We got a lot of options right now outside of sports. Many of you are getting back out, getting back to normal, spending more time with your families, going on walks at night, maybe going out to dinner now, going to amusement parks. And then, of course, there's the typical stuff, Netflix, Hulu, all that stuff. We got a lot of options right now. And I'm just saying, my life, even without games, I've still been able to do this show two times a week, sometimes three times a week. People have been able to do radio this entire time. We have options without sports. We have options without you. And I'm not saying that LeBron, you know, is a terrible human being or, or whoever, you know, Kyrie or anything. But what I am saying, I do think they're out of touch. I do think that they are out of just reality in terms of how they are acting and really out of touch with the people that help pay their salaries, which is us as consumers. Whew. All right. I think that's just about it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You got me fired up. I'm running around my apartment yelling and screaming. People got me all fired up. It's just, it is so surreal to me to watch this all play out. I think baseball actually looks a little worse than the NBA, but even the NBA, man, it's like, come on, man. We're all trying to get through this. At the end of the day, yes, you're very well compensated. Yes, I understand you don't want to be away from your family, but you got a job to do just like we all got a job to do, man. And we can't just duck out of our job uh, because it's inconvenient for us. And that's the big takeaway to me. It is no longer about health and safety. It is about inconvenience. And baseball players and basketball players don't want to be inconvenienced. All right, I think that's it. I really think that we, uh, <laughs> I think we kind of hit everything that I really wanted to hit. Um, you know, there was some other COVID stuff. I saw that Houston, by the way, you know who you don't want to be in this COVID pandemic world that we live in? Don't be the University of Houston. I don't know if you saw this guy, guys, but they reported back to practice and then they canceled practice because six players tested positive for COVID with symptoms. And you know why they tested positive? Because they didn't test them on the way in. Imagine if the NBA brought everybody to a bubble and decided not to test anybody and would only test people if they, if they showed signs. So Houston, 
tried to sidestep this thing, didn't test anybody, and now they got a bunch of players testing positive. My, oh, my, oh, my. That is a facepalm kind of moment, but that was really the only other big thing that happened this weekend. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, or at least my segment anyway. Uh, Mike Boynton's coming up. Mike Boynton is the head coach at Oklahoma State, and I really spent the last two episodes really talking about the situation in Oklahoma State, talking about why I believe it's unfair, why I believe they're getting railroaded, and Mike Boynton brought up a really good point, is he believes that they're lumping all these FBI cases together without looking at them independently and saying, hey, what Kansas did was way worse than what Oklahoma State did. What Louisville did was way different than what happened at USC. They're lumping them all together, but it's a fascinating interview, and I hope you guys will give it a chance to listen because I just think that you know my job is to present you guys the facts. I think that's why you guys have enjoyed this show so much over the years. I tell it like it is. I do not pull punches. I do not pretend or go easy on people that I know. Or I just tell it like it is. And I think Oklahoma State's getting a raw deal, and I think you'll enjoy the interview with Mike Boynton. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes, Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, all that kind of good stuff. Make sure you're following on Instagram at Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres writer on Facebook, YouTube. You can find me there as well. That is it. That is all for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed. I got all fired up because these baseball and basketball players are just out of their collective minds. Uh, and I just think being totally unfair to us as consumers, and I think they're going to have a stark reality when they come back of, I think a lot of people have moved on. I think a lot of people are perfectly fine living life without plopping in front of the TV every night to watch Major League Baseball or the NBA. And I think it'll be fascinating to see what happens. So that's all for today's show. That is all for this segment. I will be back later this week. And I should remind you, by the way, I said all the stuff, but also... Go back and listen to the old episodes. Many of you are now back to work. You're back to a commute. You're back on the beach. You're back on a boat. Flip on the AT Podcast. Good, good interviews throughout the spring and the, the, the summertime now. Bill Walton, Jim Calhoun, Mason Jones, Emmanuel Quickly, Davion Mintz, the new Kentucky Wildcat, uh, Patrick Patterson, Rick Barnes, Mark Pope, and now Mike Boynton. So that is all for today's show. Shout out to my boy Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. And now here is the head coach of the Oklahoma State Cowboys, Mike Boynton. All right, joining me now, uh, very excited to have this gentleman on the show. He is the head coach of the Oklahoma State Cowboys men's basketball program. Obviously a surreal, wild last 10 days, two weeks for the program itself. And he's here to really explain what's going on and really, frankly, what people need to know about what's going on with Oklahoma State. Mike Boynton is joining me via Zoom. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay, man. And uh, you say a couple of weeks. It's actually been uh, several months now um, of, of just, just stuff. You know, we were actually one of the final teams to play during the college basketball season yep. that ended abruptly. We had a pretty exciting conference tournament game against Iowa State uh, mm -hmm. the Wednesday night before basically what – what the Thursday became the mm -hmm. end of college basketball season. So that's kind of where this all started. It's been, uh, you know, several challenging moments since then. 
Absolutely. And so, you know, let's just get into all this and, you know, at some point maybe we'll even dip into the COVID stuff, but, you know, um, I, I guess what this, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. Usually uh, as you get to know me, coach, I'm a fun, loose guy. I like to have fun. Uh, I like to, to keep it light, but obviously for your program right now, as I said, as you said, it's been a surreal two, three, four months, but um, you know, the last week has been just, a lot. And so what I want to do is let you uh, put in your own words, um, one, what the week, the last couple weeks was like, but two, more importantly, I want you to put in words what the NCAA has found your program guilty of, because it's one thing for me to say it. It's one thing to read it in a press release, but it's another thing to hear the people that live it. And, and as I told you kind of off air, my personal opinion, you may disagree. I think when you're a casual college basketball fan, you don't have time to follow seven, eight, nine, ten 10 NCAA cases, and you kind of just lump them all together. And so obviously I, I, I know it hasn't been a fun week for you, but I really want you to inform my audience and anybody that might be tuning in exactly what your program has been found guilty of um, and, and really where things are right now. Well, I'll just start with, um, you know, we obviously know we've been going through this uh, investigation for some time. Uh, this all was triggered by uh, the, the federal indictments that were landed in September 2017 uh, when I was about five months into being a head coach at Oklahoma State. Um, caught everybody by surprise what was unearthed on that day, uh, the the almost threatening nature of the press conference that the uh, Southern District your playbook. New York had um, really kind of you know, made everybody kind of start scratching their head. Like, what is this all about? Um, and obviously because we had a, a guy on staff uh, who had been arrested that day, uh, we became part of the forefront of that conversation. And uh, that led to a lot of questions being asked of me, of, of my staff, our players, uh, um, and rightfully so, right? It was a, it was a kind of a shocking moment, a, a really uh, unfortunate turn of events. Uh, but what really came of it was uh, an investigation at three levels. Uh, one, the, the federal government was doing their own and had been doing one for a couple of years. Um, the NCA obviously had to figure out because of their jurisdiction on college athletics uh, and then on the university level. And uh, I welcomed every conversation, uh, every interview, um, never hid from turning in any documents that I had or any conversations that I was aware of or been involved in um, and did the same for every player and staff member in our program. And, you know, what we found was this is a very isolated incident as it relates to Oklahoma State. Uh, so fast forward, what we had to do subsequently because uh, this had to play out in federal court uh, for a while. Uh, and the NCAA was kind of trying to figure out where they could fit their investigation in. In the meantime, I was still trying to run this program and trying to, with this cloud over our head of our involvement and how many people were uh, going to be uh, paying consequences for this. Uh, the investigation on all three levels showed clearly uh, that no one else was involved in this um, situation, certainly not me, uh, certainly not any other staff members here and no players certainly were involved either. 
uh, and the university had some comfort knowing that they could move forward with me as the head coach. Um, and my cooperation would continue throughout the rest of the processes. The NCAA therefore did the same thing. I never, you know, had to go up to New York and interview with anybody. It just was nothing there. Um, so we, we have, we've had a challenge of trying to run our program and recruit and to um, just continue to have, try to have some consistent success in building what, what we believe can be a, a high-level championship caliber program in the Big 12. Uh, we've done it with this cloud of just negative air uh, the entire time. So once we got to this past Thursday, when I first heard that there was going to be some finality, at least at this point, to this case, I felt pretty confident uh, that we had presented ourselves in a very positive light, um, that we knew that the situation was isolated and that there was no culpability on the university side or involvement of any other individuals um, in this situation. So I was hoping that Friday's announcement would be closure to this whole situation, to be perfectly frank. Uh, I had expectations that we would face some sanctions. I didn't know the degree to which they would sanction our school and program. Uh, but honestly, when I woke up Friday and got the news, I was, I was pretty shocked. I was frustrated. I was disappointed. I was angry uh, because I felt like it was uh, a bridge too far. Um, th there's, there's one thing to say, we take every case and look at it on its own merits. Sure. It's another thing to have your actions show that that's not the case. Uh, and if you just look at the facts of our case, as it relates to even the actual report that the committee put out on Friday, it shows clearly there was no advantage gained competitively or otherwise by Oklahoma State University or the basketball program. There were zero recruiting violations, which I think is a big deal here. Yeah. There was nothing gained by the university because of this activity that was going on. Nothing. We never played an ineligible player. Hmm. We showed that on the front end, we had processes in place um, that we were complying by the rules. There wasn't this, you know, group of people kind of convoluting to break NCAA rules. There was no lack of institutional control. And essentially, when we found out that we had an individual involved in these actions, we we did what the only thing you can do is is separate yourself from that person. Uh, so, you know, when we get from what we feel like is something pretty isolated to having this effect on so many people's lives. Uh, particularly kids' lives and their ability to be able to compete on the highest level of this sport uh, at the college um, and college basketball uh, was pretty disappointing. And so we we immediately started trying to think of how do we how do we defend ourselves here? I mean, sure. because I think any person who wants to go into any any kind of detail can just read the report. Yep. And, and what I would imagine conclude well, if you say they cooperated with you fully. You found no system of abuse. You found no lack of institutional control. You found no recruiting violations. You find that this was truly isolated to an individual who you say yourself was doing this in his own self-interest. Then how do you then justify the level of penalties that was handed out? And so that's where we are now. Uh, but we certainly look forward to having our opportunity to appeal that decision and defend ourselves uh, as aggressively as we can and 
hopefully do something um, that we all say we want to do, which is stand up for players and, sure. and give sure. kids an opportunity to have success doing this. Uh, which again, this decision, I believe flies in the face of that. Yeah. And so I just want to reiterate for anybody, you covered a lot of ground there and tell me if, these facts that I'm presenting to you are wrong. Now we're almost, you know, relitigating the case here, but this is not your personal opinion. This is what the NCAA came to campus. They interviewed you. They looked through every piece of documentation that you guys have via yourself, your compliance department, your other assistant coaches, text messages, whatever. What they found was uh, the assistant coach in question who is no longer with your program, who you, you know, you excused as soon as um, this situation arose. He took a, a, a fair amount of money, but it, none of it, this is, this is me repeating what the NCAA found, okay? So this is not your opinion. This is not my opinion. This is what the NCAA found. He did not give any money, any of that money to a recruit. He did not give any of that money to a recruit's parents. I believe if I'm not mistaken, $300 made its way to a player that was on your roster, I think two or three seasons ago, and that player was subsequently suspended. So correct me if I'm wrong, is all of that accurate? That outside of a small uh, monetary amount that was given to a player who was subsequently suspended, nothing went to another uh, recruit, a player, a parent. And as you said, this is not your opinion. Oklahoma State did not gain anything by this. Again, this is what the NCAA told you guys. Yeah, that's facts. Uh, that's the facts as, that, as we're um, found. Those are the findings. Uh, there really wasn't much of a dispute on it even. Interesting. Uh, and, and we cooperated with them and told them, okay, if that's the case, then sure, obviously it's not the best behavior. Yep. And we agree that, that there should be a consequence to that. And there has been, um, no one got away with anything here. Mm -hmm. The person who was acting bad faced consequences. The person who on our team had an, had involvement faced consequences as well. So it's not like somebody we got away with this stuff and we're winning all these championships because we're recruiting these guys under the table and uh, you got all kinds of people kind of involved in making this happen. No, none of it is true. None of it happened. So the facts as you presented them are the facts as they found and as they reported in their report. Absolutely. I'm going to ask a tough question just because I want you to have the platform to answer it. You know, when another fan base – hears a coach make a claim like you like yours which it's not really a claim it's facts they'll say come on the coach had to know you're sending them on the road blah 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 what would you say to somebody because I think that's the natural reaction of every fan base whether it's any of these and I'm not going to name names we know what other schools are under investigation but the coach had to know come on they work together every day what would you say to somebody that would say something like that well, I'll say this, and this is just me because I'm pretty um, transparent about things. Sure, let's do it. Let's just assume I was, right? Let's just take that presumption. Mm -hmm. Why would I tell somebody to do something who works for me that's only going to benefit that person? <laughs> sure. Absolutely. And we're not going to get anything out of it. We're not going to get a recruit that can help us win, help me win, right? If that's, mm -hmm. if that's me then I would, I, would, I, I would be directing that so that we can help the program, right? Sure. Not in the way that was presented here. This was mm -hmm. for this individual and the opportunity to enhance their own 
uh, personal situation. So, yeah, I'm sure people would assume that. It was what I heard immediately when sure. this broke. Mm-hmm. This guy is involved. And I said, come on, let's sit down and talk. Tell me <laughs> yep. what you want to know. Mm-hmm. What can I show you? Because it's just who I am. And so I've never hid from anything. I've answered every question, honestly, and as open as I possibly could, considering the situation. Um, but it's just, it wouldn't make much sense yep. for me to, to um, risk sure. our program stake for someone to do something that doesn't benefit the program. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> and there is no recruiting violation. And I, I would guess if you're thinking that, you're thinking that the coach is sending this guy out to recruit players. That's not what happened. Absolutely. And that makes perfect sense. And, I, and I'm glad I asked because that's a perfect answer to that question. You know, I, I know you did when the news broke uh, on Friday, you did uh, a couple press conferences and all that stuff. What was your message to, to your current guys? Because, listen, we all know what's at stake here. You guys, for people who don't know, you started off really well last year. Your best player, eight games, seven, eight games, whatever it was, into the season, catches mono. He's out for like six weeks. Uh, obviously, when a team loses its best player, it's going to struggle. Then you guys, he, he comes back. His name's Isaac Likely. He's a point guard. And you guys take off again. And so, obviously, you factor that in with the excitement of a top 10 recruiting class centered around the number one player in America, Kate Cunningham, who, uh, you know, I'm sure you're probably the biggest fan in the world. I'm probably the second biggest fan in the world. He's an incredible talent. Um, what has the message been to your guys or what was it on Friday when this surreal moment happens in time? Because as you said, there was no reason for you guys to expect for this to come down. Yeah. My, it's, it was the same as it's always been with our guys we recruit and run our program first and foremost on respect and honesty. And you show that by how, how you deal with things when they're not easy. And those were not easy conversations. I called every guy on the roster and, and told them, Hey, I'm disappointed. I understand if you are rightfully so Uh, I understand you may have some thoughts about what you want to do moving forward because they do have an opportunity to transfer if they want and not have to sit out a year. Um, and I've told them basically that my responsibility was to support them. Um, and I want to help them as they go through this, uh, give them an opportunity to ask questions and maybe I can provide some clarity on what the next steps looks like. Uh, I made it clear that I want this team to stay together because I do think the combination of what you said, the returning core of the team that we had last year, along with the infusion of talent that we recruited this past season, will give us a chance to really move our program forward in a major way. And um, regardless of the outcome of the appeal, we feel like there's still a lot that this group could accomplish. And without trying to make them feel guilty if they wanted to change their minds, I did tell them, whatever you decide, whether it was Cade or Isaac Likely or Yornay or um, Keelan and Caleb Boone or anybody on our roster, if, if you feel in your heart and your family thinks that it's best for you to look at another option, I want to be here to support that too. I, w- I want these kids to enjoy this experience and not feel like a cloud is over them. So if they're going to be here, 
They need to do that all in, both feet, understanding that, yeah, there's going to be some noise, but we're going to persevere. And if they don't feel comfortable with that, I want to get a place where they can do it with clarity. How tough, is, how tough are those calls for you? Because for people who don't know, you were an assistant with the program before you were the head coach. I, I could be wrong, but I believe when you first offered Kate Cunningham, not only were you the first person to offer him a, a Power 5 scholarship, but you were an assistant that then transitioned to the head coach. Maybe you were a head coach by that point. I don't know. The point being, you know, you personally have built real relationships with these with these kids. It's not as though the head coach is the guy who comes in and closes and doesn't, you know, build that relationship early on in the process. I mean, for many of these guys, you were that assistant in that Oklahoma State polo, uh, you know, just trying to pitch your program and they trusted you. They trusted you, whether it was as an assistant or as a head coach. Um, and now something like this happens. I, I know you want what's best for the kids, but how tough are those conversations because both sides have invested so much into each other and so much trust too. Yeah, it's not easy. Um, it's not easy at all. Those are, those are difficult conversations to have, uh, but they're necessary. I take a lot of pride in relationships uh, on a personal level in my job and my, um, in my personal life and the people that I invest time in, I care deeply for sure. and I want to see them happy and successful. Um, so, Absolutely. When the time comes, I want all those guys to 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 think about that relationship and how important it is to them. But I don't want it to overshadow what they feel like is best for them. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, Cade, I was an assistant coach when I first saw him. He was 14 years old and uh, he was just a tremendous talent. And, and, and as I think more and more about this decision, I'm more and more frustrated that this even has to be something of a yep. consideration for him, a situation that he's got to maybe face some consequences for, as it was when he was a freshman in high school that this activity was going on. Yep. And now he's going to have to be worried about the consequences of it when he's a freshman in college. Just doesn't square for me uh, no, that you could really justify that level of punishment. When, again, go back to the report. There was no advantage gained to the university. It's not like we had a bunch of kids driving around in nice cars because we had some boosters like that owned the car dealership giving them away. Yep. And sure, you could understand how you would need to be severely punished and uh, face those consequences. But when you say, hey, this was a really narrow deal here. This is a really small problem. But you go back and you say, you, you can't be separating these. You're looking at them in totality. You're looking at all these cases as the same, and that's where you're basing your judgments on, and that's just not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, I'll ask you really quick, because um, you just brought it up. What What is, and I know it's a fluid situation. We're recording here late in the week. This will run on Monday, but what is the situation with Kate? I mean, it, you were very vocal uh, when these sanctions came out or when the announcement came out that, you were going to support him, even if it meant going to another school, a rival. Obviously, he will have no shortage of professional options. I mean, is there any update? And frankly, you know, are we at the point, I'm sure we already are, where other schools are at least trying to gauge interest and, and see where he may end up? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. Every, I'm not surprised. Every yeah. player on my roster, uh, and if you include him and the rest of the recruiting classes on the roster, they have options. He's got more options than probably anybody because of the professional element out there for him. Um, 
but you know, there's no real update. We're still gathering information and trying to understand what the process is going to look like. Uh, and so for me, it's just about making sure there's clarity for him and yes. how we're approaching it and that we have honest conversations about what the options are. And, and I'm not in a position to try to sway him from doing what he wants to do. My job is to help him understand what each option means. Right. And so there's, there's an upside and maybe a little downside to every situation, whether it be overseas in, in, in Europe or another on another continent, whether it be going to the G League, whether it be going to another college, or whether it be sticking with Oklahoma State. Right? Every situation is going to present some positives and probably some negatives. Ours is the possibility that we lose an appeal and he can't play an NCAA tournament in his probably only year in college basketball. Right. Um, the other ones, I don't know. Maybe there's more negatives than positives. Sure. Uh, but I know there's a lot of reasons that he wanted to come to Oklahoma State and was excited about the opportunity to be in our program. And, um, you know, th- a lot of those things still exist. Well, and that's what that, the last question about Kate, I promise. But but that is one thing that. Um, you know, I, I've noticed in watching him, and I'm far from a recruiting expert, but I've seen him at three, four, five events, is that, um, you know, he appears to be a leader. He appears to be somebody that people gravitate to. How do you balance, you know, there are some really great options out there, but he clearly also has a real love for you, your staff. Obviously, we all know his brother's on staff, but as we just said, you were the first coach to believe in him in a way that nobody else did. So how do you balance, like, he's got a lot of great options, but heck, there's a real love for Oklahoma State here, and I don't want to push – I don't want to say push him out the door. I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say, but Oklahoma State is still a great option, I feel like, for a kid that, by all accounts, wants to be there. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't said this much. I thought Kay was the best player in the country probably before anybody, including him. Okay. Did <laughs> and you tell him our that? relationship um, really was built just off genuine appreciation for what I thought he could become yeah. if he had intentional an intentional work ethic, and he does. Um, is this deal about his brother? Although I don't want to discount it, it's real. I hired him, right? He's on my staff. He's a good friend. He works hard. He's a great dude. He's going to be a really good coach. But I didn't even have a conversation with Cannon, Kate's brother for two years before sure. I mean I recruited Kate for two years before I ever had one conversation with Cannon. Mm-hmm. My relationship with Kate is stronger than even my relationship with Cannon. And in fact, in this whole situation, I haven't talked to Cannon about Cade. Okay. <laughs> I've talked to Cade about Cade. Sure. Because it's about him and it's not about his brother. His brother has his own deal that he's doing. And if he comes here, obviously that would be a big part of uh, them enjoying this experience together. Yes. Um, and that'll be an awesome thing to see. But um, people who are just uh, un- unwilling to accept that it wasn't just about, oh, I found out that there's a really good player and I thought his brother could help. No, that was that definitely didn't hurt us, right? It didn't hurt us that he's on our staff. But there were a lot. There was a lot of work done before that took place. And uh, I'm just glad that the kid um, is getting all the accolades and attention that he deserves. Nobody's worked harder. And, um, you know, I certainly hope that I have an opportunity to coach him. And if I don't, whatever he's doing, I'll be cheering for him to have great success. 
Yeah. Like I said, if you're the number one fan, I'm the number two. Uh, every time I've been around him, I mean, he's got, I mean, I, I truly mean it is a, a gravitational pull feels a little over dramatic, but like the kid's an awesome kid to be around. I think he's going to be, I hope he's a great ambassador for college basketball. I'll just say, I don't really care. I hope he's a great ambassador for college basketball. Ideally, uh, you know, I would think it would be with you guys and whatever. So let's just really quickly what are the next steps for you guys? Because, you know, we hear appeal, we see appeal, we don't know what it means. And I guess this is all part of, I don't know if re-recruiting is the right word, but, you know, having these conversations with your um, players is that there is still a process to be played out. And, you know, I'll be honest, I was talking to your, your sports information director a day before we are doing this interview, and he said, look, other schools have appealed and been successful. We're not saying that we'll be uh, the one and we're not saying it's going to happen, but it has happened before. So for people who don't understand the process, what is the next step for you guys? And, uh, you know, where do we go from here? Yeah, you know, people who, you know, are in positions of administrative duties above me, obviously are putting a, a plan together on how to approach the appeal. We feel, like I said, because of the facts of the case, we have a strong uh, stance to take. Um, I don't know exactly what those details are at this point, but this, the truth is this will take some time to play itself out. Um, and so we're going to be as aggressive as we can be in defending our position and protecting our players. I think that's the ultimate message is this, th the impact of this decision on kids, most of which were like 15 and 16 yes. years old, some as, as young as 14 at the time, is again a bridge too far. There was a much better way to adjudicate this case, and uh, we think that hopefully whoever's on the appeal um, committee or whatever that looks like understands that we can't just take all the cases from the Southern District of New York and say this is the minimum punishment that you can receive because they're sure. not all the same. They all have totally different elements, um, and ours I think is is a, a great case of that. Yeah, no, and I, I'll just say it so you don't have to. I, I think based on, you know, for people who saw the documentary, the scheme about this whole situation, um, I think it was maybe reported in real time different than how it actually went down. And I say that for every school, uh, not just Oklahoma State. And if Oklahoma State was already on the lower end of all that to begin with, I'm just, I'm just saying, that's my personal opinion. And, you know, I'm allowed to have an opinion like everybody else. So, uh, anything else, you know, I, I guess I would just ask it in a pie in the sky, best case scenario. First of all, are you, I don't know if you're even allowed to say, um, when are you, are, are your guys back on campus? When are they planning on coming back or what, what, like what, what's going on with that? Yeah, we're not, we're not. That's, that's kind of what's complicated this yep. that much more. Right. So the combination of there are a lot of things that play at one time. So we got COVID, which made us essentially send everybody away. Yep. Almost like, Go home. Don't stay on campus, please. Go yes, to your home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we got 13 guys in essentially their hometowns. And um, so that's been difficult because the way we normally communicate is we get together and we meet yeah. face to face and we go have lunch and we have team functions and stuff like that. So we haven't been able to do that since March. Uh, then in the last three weeks with all the racial tension in our country that's going on, really made things more complicated. We've had some really hard conversations. We've had to do those just like we're doing this virtually via Zoom. Uh, and it's hard to kind of 
you want to hug your guys. You want to put yeah. your arms around them and tell them, man, listen, I understand how frustrated this is to see, but we'll be, we'll be okay. Uh, and then to now have to deal with this on top of that during this time when you can't get with them face-to-face uh, really complicated this last week for our staff. Um, in addition to, you know, I could have 13 guys walk in my office and say, you know what, hey, I don't, I don't think this is for me. And there's, there's really nothing I can do considering the, the rule says you can go without having to sit out. Um, so there's no penalty there. And there's no, there's a recruiting dead period going on. So if I had, if I had all those guys come in and say, if I had six guys come in, then I can't go replace them. Wow. <laughs> um, so it's been a challenge for sure. Um, so our, our hope is that the Big Twelve allows our guys to start voluntary activities on July the sixth. Oh wow! Um, so we're still close to a month away from that even um and so you know there's a lot of things to consider as we go through this and i hope that um you know these conversations continue to go well i I don't anticipate losing 13 guys but it's a possibility and the more time away they are the more opportunities for other people to influence those this thought processes Uh, so i'll stick strong with uh, our relationship and, and you know honesty and respect is at the top of the list on our priority list and so we'll just try to do the right things by them. And hopefully we get them back. Hopefully we get them all back. Um, but the ones we get back, we're going to do everything we can to make it a successful experience next year. We don't have to name names, but we obviously talked about Kate earlier. Um, have you got any indication either way that guys are interested in pursuing other things, interested in coming back, or is it too early on that? It's probably too early. I mean, I've got a couple guys who feel very confident in coming back no matter what. Great. Um, you know, that, that gives me some sense of peace um, because they, th- that shows that they believe in the program, but, but also me. They believe in, in what we're doing and how they're being treated. So um, it's, um, it's pretty cool, man, to, to feel that. And, and hopefully we get as many of them wanting to do that as possible and give ourselves a chance to, no matter what we're faced with, to still have a, a, an enjoyable and successful season next year. All right, very last question. Pie in the sky, everything goes well, everybody comes back. Give us this I'm – I'm a, I'm a glasses half full guy. So give us the scouting report on the 2020-2021 Cowboys if things uh, – you know, if you have the roster that you were intending to have all along. Well, we play in the best basketball conference in the country, and we think it'll be that way again next year. Be good, yeah. Kansas is always good, really deep. They'll be a top-five team, I would imagine. Texas will be top – probably 10. They've got everybody back out of the top 10 player in the country um, coming in. Uh, Tech, Baylor, they've been really good here uh, the last several years. West Virginia is always good. So we'll have opportunities to show how good we are through playing Big 12 basketball. And we think we'll have a chance to, to be really, really competitive, hopefully compete at that level for some sort of championship, even if it's not postseason, some regular season opportunities. Uh, but all, all things considered, I think this is a team that can make a deep, deep run in the NCAA tournament if we're given the opportunity. I'm keeping my fingers crossed, man. I really am. Uh, I appreciate you making some time kind of clarifying for people that don't understand what's going on, going on, don't understand what has happened. Uh, I think this was really insightful, and so I appreciate you making some time, and we'll keep fighting the fight. We'll do what we can, man. You tell me where I got to show up and when. I'm there. So <laughs> I appreciate it, Aaron. Look forward to the opportunity to speak again. All right, thank you.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.